0: Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the media, Democrats, teachers, unions are, are pushing for schools to remain closed seemingly indefinitely, I guess, due to COVID-19. But the actual facts about the virus make it clear that schools can be reopened, should be reopened. So what the, what, what's this really about? Why are they actually trying to keep schools closed? We'll talk about all that today. Also, five headlines, including Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York, fretting over uh, his BLM mural that was painted on the street. Which is really more glorified graffiti than a mural. Fretting over that while babies are shot dead in his city. Um, we'll talk about that. Also, today for our daily cancellation, long overdue, we will be canceling mommy bloggers. It's time, it needs to happen, and that's gonna happen today. Um, but beginning with this, it's been strange, you know, I have to say, because I have been reliably informed, we've all been reliably informed over and over and over again that our teachers. Our our sainted teachers, especially our public school teachers, are self-sacrificing heroes who care only about educating our precious children. Right? We've all heard that. Okay, equipping the next generation, um, you know, getting our kids ready for the future. They're doing the hardest job. They're doing the most important job. And but they're passionate about it. They love doing it. They care. They care about our kids, right? I remember hearing this. Don't you remember that? Many times, in fact, incessantly even, uh, until the point of nausea, you might say. But now we're being told that many teachers don't wanna go back to work. They don't wanna go back to school. They don't wanna educate our kids because they're scared of the virus. As the NYT reports in this headline, um, they are fearful and angry about being pressured to go back to school. They're making demands, as uh, teachers seem to so often do. The LA Teachers Union has a long list of demands that will need to be met before they'll go back to school. Many of them seemingly disconnected entirely from COVID concerns. For example, they want to defund the police. That's part of the, what does that have to do with COVID? Who knows? Apparently, I I don't know, the police are out there intentionally spreading the virus, those bastards. It's just yet another thing that the evil police are doing. but the, the mellow drama from teachers is really off the charts. Newsweek reports that teachers in Texas are writing their wills because they have to go back to school. Uh, they're also getting medical power of attorney established. They're, they're taking out extra life insurance policy. This is all according to what some teachers in the article are saying. Um, and these dramatics are echoed by the media and many other people in our country. Some in the media, like Jennifer Rubin at The Washington Post, have flat out said that Sending our kids back to school is killing them. It is, we, we, are, we are giving them a death sentence by sending them back to school. That's what's being argued. Now, let's look at the actual facts, those pesky things. I'm going to show you some graphs here. And I, I posted this on my Twitter. You can go there as well. I got, all this, I got all this information from the American Council on Science and Health, the CDC, the National Center for Education Statistics, and an article in Business Insider. That's where I get all these statistics. Um, Okay, here is the infection fatality rate for COVID by age. All right, there's the chart. And you see it's minuscule for kids, school-age kids, from 0.001 for the youngest set to 0.0003 for the middle school to high school bracket. Okay, that's the the mortality rate for COVID for school-age kids. Now, here's the important point. Via Business Insider, the death rate for the flu in that same bracket is substantially higher. Still low, still very low, but substantially higher. So, if you've never said that sending our kids to school during flu season is a death sentence and we're killing them and uh, it's a heartless and cruel thing to do, but you are saying that now about COVID, then I have only one question for you, when did you become such a shameless lying hack? That's my only question. See, I don't want to hear this stuff about, oh, so you're saying even if the death rate's 0.001%, you're you're saying that's okay, you're okay with that? You're okay with those kids dying? Well, that's what you say during flu season, every single flu season, that's what you say by your own logic anyway. That's what you say. As for teachers, uh, because that's what this is all really about, we see that the death rate for adults is also very low until you get to the 50 plus range. And then it really skyrockets at uh, 65 plus and many of those in 65 plus because 65 plus is a, is a large age bracket. Right. Um, many of those are going to be 75, 80, 85 years old or older in nursing homes. And, and we know that's one of the reasons. It, the death rate for, for COVID is, is precipitously declining, even as cases go up. And one of the reasons the case is going up is because they're testing more for it. But either way, um, the death rate is going down in this country. You wouldn't know that from all the hysterics in the media. But it is. Why is the death rate going down? Well, one of the reasons is that many of these states, as we have covered, as we covered extensively when it was happening... Many of these states intentionally set COVID-infected people into nursing homes, and it just decimated the nursing home population, Um, and they're not doing that anymore. After months of doing it, finally, they've been shamed into stopping, and what do you know? Now that we have actually successfully protected the nursing home population, the death rate is is declining significantly. Um, Now... Okay, so that's, that's, those are the, the, the death rates uh, by age group. What's the average age of teachers, though? You know, do, do we have um, a majority of, of you know, 65-year-old teachers? Well, no, the average age for teachers in America, according to this graph, is 42. Only a relatively small minority are in the highest-risk age group. What this means is that the vast majority of people in a school, from the students, to the teachers, administrators, um, are not at any substantial risk, students especially. And that's probably why the American Academy of Pediatrics issued guidance strongly urging that schools be reopened. What the American Academy of Pediatrics says, and this is hardly a right-wing organization, what they say is that it's it's better for the kids and healthier and safer for them if we send them back to school. I want to read a little bit from what the... Um, that, that group has to say. But before we do, this show brought to you by Blink Sale, revolutionary invoicing software that's changing the landscape for small businesses and independent contractors everywhere. Uh, you know, the, the American dream is owning a small business. Uh, you get a lot of freedom, opportunity that comes with that. You can, you can be your own boss, uh, live your own life, do, do what you want to do, work for yourself rather than working for someone else. But many business owners know that there are so many challenges and hurdles that come with that. Some of the challenges and hurdles you didn't really anticipate or you didn't think it'd be a big deal and they end up being more significant obstacles than you think one of those is invoicing if you've ever had to hassle a client that owed you money or you've gotten lost trying to keep track of your invoices struggling with organization and all of that kind of stuff you know uh or you've got the microsoft word template and you you get the ugly clunky sort of thing you know how difficult it is uh to keep track of the invoices and make them look professional that's why you need Blink sale. With Blink sale. you can send beautiful custom branded invoices and estimates in seconds. Stay on top of your outstanding invoices. Let your customers and clients easily pay your invoices online. Um, forget about using invoice templates and stressing about coordinating a bunch of different software programs. Just use Blink sale. Even better, added bonus, Blink sale is giving away $10 to 500 Daily Wire fans. Here's how to get it. Go to BlinkSale.com. Start your 14-day free trial. Create your first invoice of $10 and activate an online payment option. Send the invoice to dailywire at BlinkSale.com. Get paid your $10. You can do that right now. Stop wasting time invoicing and try BlinkSale for free at BlinkSale.com slash Walsh. That's B-L-I-N-K-S-A-L-E dot com slash Walsh. BlinkSale. Spend less time billing and more time doing what you love. Okay, um... So let me read this a little bit. This is from the NPR report on the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics. Says the nation's pediatricians have come out with a strong statement in favor of bringing children back to the classroom this fall, wherever and whenever they can do so safely. The American Academy of Pediatrics guidance, quote, strongly advocates that all policy considerations for the coming school year should start with a goal of having students physically present in school. The guidance says schools are fundamental to child and adolescent development and well-being, Uh, The AAP cites mounting evidence that transmission of the coronavirus by young children is uncommon, partly because they are less likely to contract it in the first place. On the other hand, the AAP argues that based on the nation's experience this spring, remote learning is likely to result in severe learning loss and increased social isolation. Uh, Social isolation, in turn, can breed serious social, emotional, and health issues, Um, child and adolescent physical or sexual abuse, substance use, depression, and suicidal ideation, it cites as uh, as particular risks. Now, all of this said, okay, are there risks involved in opening schools? Well, of course there are. There are always risks. There are risks from disease, there are risks from violence, there are risks for all kinds of risks that go uh, with, with just leaving your house and, and certainly setting your kids to school. There are risks involved with that. But what is the other option? Okay, you see, that's the question that the COVID fear mongers have never answered. They always avoid, they refuse to answer it. They complain about reopening. They go into their hysterics anytime it ha- anytime it happens, launching into this whole dramatic production, but they never explain what they would prefer to see happen, except in very vague terms. They'll say something like, well, it's, it, it needs to be better. That's what I know. Th- this isn't good. We need a better. Well, what's your plan? What should we do instead? Something better? That's what we should do. We should have a better thing than this. That's my idea. Uh, oh very 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 good very helpful. Thank you for that. No, they won't go into specifics. Um, they won't they won't lay it out. So I will you know they're not going to do it so let me do it. There, there are broadly two options here. only two. One is to reopen schools while the virus is still out there and there's no cure and to do our best to manage the risks. The other is to keep them closed indefinitely, possibly for years until an effective vaccine is ready and available, whenever that happens, if it ever happens. That's it, okay? There are are different ways of approaching those two options, but those are the options, one way or another. It's going to be some version of one of those, door one or door two. Here's the irony, most of the people who go with option two, even if they won't quite say it um, explicitly, that it, it does appear that option two is what they want, keep sc- schools closed indefinitely, even if that means for years, however long it takes for the virus to go away. Um, and, and by the way, before I get to that, uh, another dodge that you'll hear from people is to say, well, we need to wait until the virus is under control, or we have to wait until the, the, the curve is flattened. Well, we did cur- we did flatten the curve. And we are getting the virus under control, especially when it comes to the death rate, which is declining. But the point is that whatever we do, even if the curve, whatever magical curve we're talking about, if it, if it goes away, if we get it under control, whatever that means in your head, if it's still out there and there's no cure, then whenever you reopen, it's probably going to start surging again because it's still there. So wh- whatever you do to get it under control by hiding in your house, it's because you're in your house. Whatever you leave your house, it's still going to be there, and then it's going to reappear, and, and, and it's going to happen again. The only way to avoid that happening completely is to just stay in your house until there's a, a cure, a vaccine. So we go back to, really, it's option one or option. Either we are getting back to our lives when the virus is still out there or not. It's, it has to be one or the, one of those two, right? Now, most of the people that would apparently go with option two keep the schools closed indefinitely, are also invariably the people who would say that the school experience is vital to the growth of our children, vital to their development and their maturity and their very lives. So they're willing to potentially give up on a whole generation of children, give up on their education, because they're scared of getting sick. Now think about that. The other irony is that although I am positioning myself, I guess, on the reopening side of things, that's not how I feel about it. about About schools, and I'll explain how I feel in just a second. But first, uh, I want to tell you about our good friends over at Rock Auto. You know, it can be very frustrating just to, to take hours uh, just to get a simple thing on your car fixed. You know, when you think about you get in your car, leave, drive down to an auto parts store, go through that, go through that whole rigmarole. Um, and it just takes a, a lot longer than it needs to. RockAuto.com is a much easier, more efficient, cheaper way to take care of all of this. Uh, you just go to RockAuto.com. You have it at your desk. You have it in your pocket, on your phone. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible, rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear. Uh, why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? It's really, you know, that's a simple question. There's no reason to do it. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com the shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. Uh, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. I mean, r- the guys at rockauto.com, they're going to give you the lowest price it's, that it's possible to do. Um, and that's what you can rely on when you go to rockauto.com. The catalog is unique. they got all the different kinds of parts you can need. Remarkably easy to navigate, even for someone as stupid as me. Um, And uh, so it'll be even easier for you. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Now, talking about, you know, sending kids back to school, the irony is that although I'm, I'm you know, taking the position of, of, of being in favor of opening them up again, I actually don't think that public schools are essential to the growth of children. That's not my position. I think they're often an impediment to growth. I think that our education system is a disaster, and it, it destroys more children than it helps. So, you know, I, I am here trying to hold the other side to its own standard, to its own rhetoric. But as far as my own perspective goes, I think kids can do just fine without the public school system. Um, So I'm almost arguing, you know, I'm trying to do a favor for the other side, I guess, in in saying let's get the schools open because the kids need it. Um, That's what they're supposed to be saying. The problem, though, of course, is that when, when it comes to shutting down the schools, the real problem is that our whole society is built around the public school system. Um, the broader societal structure is 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 made so that it's essential to have free daycare eight hours a day five days a week nine months a year. Um, the biggest hurdle then, if you're shutting down schools, is to adjust to the to the to accommodate the loss of that daycare system. But as far as the kids themselves, and that is a serious um, problem for a lot of families. There's no uh, Dismissing or discounting that, you know, if you're a two-income family, if you need two incomes to stay afloat, uh, and you can't afford private school, what are you going to do? What have you been doing? Now I've heard different things, but it's been it has been a, a, a very serious, very hard, even disastrous time for a lot of families because of that issue. As far as the kids themselves go, though, on the other hand, on the matter of education in and of itself, homeschool is better for them anyway. So, so, you know, maybe that's the silver lining here. The school system is saying, you don't need us. We're not essential. Teachers are basically saying, we're not essential employees. You don't need us. Well, maybe we should take them at their word. Maybe we should say, okay, fine, take the year off. Matter of fact, take forever off. We got this. And then we go and take charge of our children's education again, which wouldn't be such a bad thing. Now, again... I, I have always been a proponent of moving away from the factory assembly line system of education where we put all the kids into this system and, you know, this cookie cutter thing that they're supposed to fit into and we, we, we stuff 30 kids into a classroom and we have it handled by government employees. I've always said that we need to move away from that as a society. Now, I, I think that ideally we move away from it gradually so that society has time to adjust and families can adjust. Doing it all at once like this can be disastrous, and that's what we're going through right now. But the point is that the schools are the ones saying, apparently, that our kids don't need them. And leaving aside all the concerns with, you know, who's going to take care of your kids during the day, when it comes to education, I guess my answer is, I agree. We don't. No matter what happens, though, last thing I'll say. Um, Please, God. When the teachers do go back, don't let them start doing TikTok dancing videos, please. I know it's going to happen, but I'm begging. It, it, our, our country can't handle it. We have suffered enough. So please, anything but that. All right, let's move to our uh, headlines for the day. Before we do that, uh, I want to tell you about ReadyWise. Our sponsor, Wise Company, you've heard a lot about, they've changed their name to ReadyWise Uh, Now is a better time than any to be prepared with long-term nutritional food options. ReadyWise has many options um, like emergency meals, freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition. Uh, They've also got adventure meals for hiking and camping, outdoor activities. So it's not just about being prepared for emergency. It's also about if you like going outdoors like I do, um, it's great to grab a ReadyWise meal as I often do myself. ReadyWise meals are easy to prepare. All you got to do is add water. And uh, it's as simple as that. They have a very long shelf life. And here's the other thing I like about ReadyWise. They use the finest ingredients, the latest food preparation technology. And so they're going to ensure that you have optimal taste and freshness as well. Every recipe is crafted by a team of chefs to provide a nutritional meal during critical times. Each meal is a combination of both dehydrated and freeze-dried ingredients. Meals are packed into durable, long-lasting pouches, and they'll last for up to 25 years. But the great thing is that it actually tastes good um, when you're eating it as well. Uh, and you know now is the time to take responsibility and just be prepared. This week, my listeners can get free shipping at readywise.com when entering Walsh at checkout or by calling 855-475-3089. ReadyWise has a 90-day, no-questions-asked return policy, so there's no risk taking the initiative to get yourself and your family prepared today. That's readywise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code Walsh, to get free shipping. Uh, we're big fans of ReadyWise over here and all of our Sponsors, as uh, you know, we want to thank all of our sponsors for continuing to support this show and all of uh, the shows at uh, the Daily Wire uh, during a really difficult time. And we ask you to, you know, uh, if if you can, if you have it in the budget, and you hear you hear about a sponsor that you like to support those sponsors as well. Let's go to headlines. Number one: Bill De Blasio, the uh, big dumb cantaloupe, come to life is overseeing a city that has plunged into violence and anarchy. A baby baby was shot in the stomach and killed a couple days ago. People are dying every day. But here's what he's worried about. From de Blasio, it says, To whoever vandalized our mural on Fifth Avenue, nice try. Uh, Let's see. We've already fixed it. The Black Lives Matter movement is more than words, and it can't be undone. This is what this dumb oaf is worried about. People are dying left and right, and he's focused on the mural on the street. A mural, which, by the way, isn't really a mural, can I just say. Words spray-painted on the street are not a mural. That is state-sanctioned graffiti. Let's not let's not uh, do it the favor of calling it a mural. That's not a mural. Murals have artistic value. That doesn't. But either way, artistic value or not, um, It doesn't matter. No one cares about your stupid painting, you idiot. Number two, here's a shocking turn of events. A few weeks ago, a student at Texas A&M claimed that he found racist notes on his car. Um, They said, all lives matter, you don't belong here. And then another one had the N-word. He posted it online, it went viral, media covered it, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. And then what do you know, who'd thunk? Turns out he wrote it himself. I am floored. I know you probably are too. Who could have guessed that the old racist note left on the windshield thing would end up being fake i mean it 's only fake every single time who, who who could have possibly imagined that this one would be fake too um, here's here 's how ridiculous it's gotten that hate crime hoaxes are so common that there are now genres of them. there are identifiable recognizable. Genres and everyone has their own favorite, right? Like there's the uh there's the this one, the racist note left on the car windshield gambit. There's the racist graffiti, oftentimes sprayed on a garage, um, or you know, side of a house or somewhere else. There's the uh racist note on the receipt, the fake racist note on the receipt. That's maybe my personal favorite genre of of, of the hate crime oaks. Uh, there's of course the racist noose, obviously. Um, there's the racist uh, note on a Starbucks cup is another one. And then there are, and then there are sometimes people, there's the genre-bending, genre-defying, more ambitious efforts like the Jussie Smollett, for example. You know, the thing is, I appreciate the Jussie Smolletts, I do, um, to have that ambition and to be a little bit more inventive. Uh, Although, you know, you you could argue that his hate crime hoax was derivative because all he really did was combine a few of these other genres and throw them together in kind of a grab bag sort of way. There wasn't wasn't much of a compelling narrative there, Um, but I appreciated the effort, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But really when it comes down to it, uh, my thing is no reason to get inventive. Uh, You call me old fashioned, but I like these quaint, you know, a little cliched genres. Uh, so if you're going to go with the hate crime hoax, I say stick with the classics, you know, oldies, but goodies, um, play the hits. That's sort of my way of looking at it. And and I, that's what this guy did here. You know, he's he's just, he's just doing them, you know, going with the standard note on the car type of thing. Not a lot of effort put into it, but that's okay. Doesn't matter. Um, Any other thing is, of course, people on the left, doesn't matter how obvious, obvious it is, they'll accept it. Doesn't matter. So uh, no reason to put some effort into it and um, and uh, usually we're good for about one a week now from from at least one of these genres and uh, you know it's 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 a, it's a lot of fun a lot of fun Numbers, but re- but remember america's systemically racist okay we we have actual genres of hate crimes um, but america's systemically racist right number 3 i thought this was a was also a lot of fun tweet from ilhan omar says income inequality is the greatest determinant of your health and life expectancy our economy needs to needs to work for the many, not the few. But the really interesting thing is that, you know, Ilhan Omar and, and the other uh, people in Congress, AOC, you know, other members of the of the squad, uh, as much as they talk about income inequality and how, how concerned they are with it, you know, they're making one hundred seventy four thousand dollars a year as members of Congress, which is well over hundred thousand dollars more than uh, significantly more than doubled the the, uh, the average American salary. So they could lead by example and call for Congress to impose significant pay cuts on itself so that the salaries of, of, of our congressional members reflects the average American salary. And then at least you're, you're doing your own part to solve the income inequality problem. But they're not doing that, funny enough. You know, they're, they're not interested in that. It's, that's a, it, and, and also Ilhan Omar, um, she apparently... Uh, allegedly has been funneling hundreds of thousands of dollars from her campaign to her to her husband's consulting firm you know, so it, it it seems like she's not only is she not doing things to solve the income inequality problem but she is going out of her way to perpetuate that problem uh by making her own income all the more unequal to everybody else's really really, really strange how it works I mean it's almost like it's all call me crazy. It's almost like these people don't give the slightest damn about income income inequality at all. You know, it's that that you would you would almost think that, wouldn't you? Number four, and as the wheel turns, another name change is being demanded. This is from the Washington Post. It says uh, the Texas Rangers team name must go. Members of the Texas Rangers force were violent agents of white supremacy. Uh, so Texas Rangers were next to go. I you know I I I knew this was coming. I saw this coming. And, uh, you know, what they're saying is that Texas Rangers were, you know, white supremacists. Uh, they were violent men, uh, they killed native Americans, uh, so on and so forth, which, which by the way, they were violent men and they did kill native Americans. The only thing that you know oftentimes is not mentioned by the people who advocate uh, things like this is that they were doing battle with um, Indian tribes who themselves were extraordinarily violent. And in fact, the Texas Rangers would have been battling the most violent Indian tribes in the entire country. The Plains Indians, the Comanches in particular, uh, you know, would as, as, as we talked about last week, you know, par for the course standard operating procedure for a tribe like the Comanches was to, um, invade either neighboring tribes or it, it didn't matter if you if you were, it wasn't like they were just lashing out against white expansionism. No, they would, they would treat you, whether you were a, a white outsider or an Indian outsider, they would treat you the same. And what that meant was invading your village or your tribe, um, killing as many people as they could gruesomely scalping, taking scalps as, as souvenirs. Uh, any men who were captured would automatically be tortured to death. Again, standard operating procedure. It was just understood that's what they would do. Uh, babies were automatically killed. Women were gang raped and then killed. Um, children were taken as, uh, as forcibly adopted by the tribe. And this is just how it went for centuries. This is just what they did, how they operated. Um, and that's what the Texas Rangers were up against. They themselves were violent men. It was a violent time. And everybody was violent. Um... But of course, you know, the Texas Rangers were the undisputed bad guys somehow, <laughs> even though they're up against people who are doing some of the most committing some of those brutally horrific, violent acts you could imagine. And even a lot of stuff you couldn't possibly imagine, even though that's the case, they're still totally the bad guys, 100%. And the other side is entirely innocent. Right. Number five, finally, Johnny Depp, I guess, is in divorce proceedings with his wife Amber Heard. Um, and I, I you know, I've seen these headlines pop up. I don't really care, except I, I did see uh, this I did care about a little bit. I saw this photo was released today, shown in court. It's J- Johnny Depp passed out, covered in ice cream. And this is supposed to prove, I don't know, that he's, uh, that he's a, a monstrous figure. I'm, I'm not sure. I just want to say in his defense. Okay, who has not fallen asleep covered in ice cream? We haven't we all been there? This is me three times a week. I mean, my wife definitely has found me on the couch late at night with a plate of food, asleep, head hanging down like that, and the food just falling off into my lap. I'm not high, I'm not on drugs, okay, I'm not drunk. It's stone cold sober, but you know, it's it happens. You go for the late night snack, it's midnight, you're tired. And you fall asleep in the middle of eating. Am I the only one? Maybe I am. Maybe it's just me and Johnny Depp. Also, on a slightly more serious note, I suppose, I keep seeing these pictures of of Johnny Depp in these compromising positions. What kind of wife... I have no dog in this fight at all. Um, I don't even understand what the fight is. I mean, it's a divorce, okay? I guess that's pretty self-explanatory. But what kind of wife takes pictures of their husband? Like, you, you find your husband in a compromised position... And you take a picture of him, that's your first reaction? You're really concerned about his health, and so you take pictures of him and save those pictures, and now you bring him out in court? Yeah, that's a real, real loving and attentive wife there uh, he had for himself, I suppose. Let's go to our daily cancellation. It's a very important one. Well, they're all important, but this one especially. Before we do that, you know, in the midst of all this news, Ben Shapiro has a new book called um, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Uh, He must have seen into the future when he was writing this thing because it's come to life all around us. Very timely book. The book goes on sale Tuesday, July 21st at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And Ben will be doing a virtual live signing event on the day of the release. With your purchase of a signed copy, you can write in a a question, which uh, may be read and answered as you signed your books. The book covers two fundamentally different visions of America that are now on the table. One vision is unifying and finds unity in our shared philosophy and culture and history. The other disintegrates our country in the name of fundamental change. Disintegrationists also use weapons like cancel culture, uh, deleting or silencing anyone who disagrees to further build their their new world order. How to Destroy America in three easy steps details how this alternate worldview has gained so much cultural ground so quickly. Uh, It's, you know, we talk about timely books. It doesn't get more timely than this. So make sure to buy that book. You can pre-order it now. Um, but also remember dailywire.com Ben to order your signed copy and join Ben's live signing on Tuesday, July 21st. Okay, today for our daily cancellation, something long overdue. We're going to be canceling mommy bloggers, all of them. They needed to be canceled years ago. I think it's probably too late for intervention at this point, but someone has to try because the entire mommy blogging genre is vapid and toxic, family and brain cell-destroying. Um, it, it mostly consists of women complaining about their children, their husbands, and, and doing so publicly, of course, but trying to uh, dress it up like it's an insight. It, it's really nothing. It's just one long complaint, one complaint after another, but it's supposed, to be, it's supposed to be insightful somehow. Exhibit A, we have this article, which has been getting shared on social media a lot the past few days, from the mommy blog, uh, scarymommy.com. This was actually written a little while ago, but uh, you know, there's, there's no statute of limitations on cancellations, as we have learned. So um, I'm still going to cancel this and all mommy blogs because of it. The title is, My Daughter is Hard to Like and I'm Sorry. All right, here's, here's a little bit of the thing. It says, uh, The day that I realized my child is that child was a turning point for me as a mother. It's the day I started to feel ashamed of my daughter and the way she behaves. The day I started to wonder if there was something wrong with her or with me as the one who gave birth to her and is responsible for making her into a decent human being. Yes, bingo. You know, I I think, see, right at the top there, she stumbles on the truth. There is something wrong with her. But then she proceeds to talk, to go on for 2,000 more words, talking about her daughter, not herself. She says, it happened on a day like any other. We were having a play date at our house with friends whom we know very well and have invited over countless times before. My five-year-old and her four-year-old friend were running laps around the couch playing tag. My daughter was it, and when she couldn't catch up to her friend, she collapsed on the ground, pouting close to tears, and shouted, I can't catch you. You have to slow down. You have to. I won't play anymore if you don't. And I looked at her with a sigh, as I always do at times like this, and I looked at her friend, who is almost always smiley and agreeable, and that's what I knew. I knew that a hypothesis that had been building in my head and my heart for months and months now was unequivocally true my child is not easy to like well i think part of the problem here is that your child's acting like a brat in public and acting out and your response is just to sigh you're just staring there is your you're staring at her as your as your child has a temper tantrum just going jeez oh, here she goes again what are you going to do well you could do something you're the mother And it wasn't because of that one event. It was because that wasn't an isolated event at all. Things like that happen all the time, all the bloody time. Whether she is alone with her siblings or with her friends or at home or in public, my daughter is the bossy one, the demanding one, the one making a scene at the store as she cries on and on and on because I won't let her buy a gymnastics leotard. She is quick to cry, yell, throw the kind of tantrum that I once thought only two-year-olds were capable of. She's disrespectful and rude. She's moody, unable to share and overly concerned about every damn toy uh insistent upon doing things her way impossible if things don't go her way manipulative always thinking only of herself and always prepared to tell you exactly what she thinks and feels in that very moment if she doesn't like what you are doing she you will hear about it um on and on i mean just just a long oh my goodness it's, it's a long list this is a long indictment that this woman is publishing about her five-year-old um and she says, uh, later on, she says, for, for those of you who encounter my darling big-eyed brat, you will be forgiven if you don't like her. I often don't like her myself. I am her mother, and I love her because I have enjoyed her at her best. I recognize her potential. I know her strengths. And then it goes on and on, as women tend to do. And uh, finally, at the end of it, she pleads that uh, for the public to help her parent by straightening her daughter out with peer pressure. She actually tries to solicit peer pressure against her daughter because she's given up on actually parenting. Okay, a few things here. First of all, you shouldn't love your child for their potential. You're supposed to love them, period, just to love them because you're the parent. Loving your child for her potential is a problem because what if she never lives up to the potential, your idea of her potential? Are you going to stop loving her? I guess so, apparently so. Second, your child is a reflection of you, Okay, which, which isn't to say that a child who acts out you know, or whatever or misbehaves always has a bad parent. Uh, that would be ridiculous, of course. All, all kids act out. All five-year-olds are varying degrees of difficult. Um, kids also have their own minds and personalities, and you can only do, do so much to control them. Um, and kids will go through especially difficult phases at one point or another. I think it's probably different for all kids. You hear about the terrible twos. You know, in my, my wife and I talk all the time about, we never really experienced that two for us is a pretty easy age. Three becomes the difficult age. Um, so it's more, you know, three is more of the, it's the terrible three is more than the terrible twos, but it's different for every kid and every family that said, if your child is an absolute terrorist, then yes, you're doing something horribly wrong. Most likely in the child raising department. Um, To dislike them, to dislike your own child, is not only pretty horrible in its own right, but it misses the point. If you're going to dislike anyone, you should dislike yourself. They're taking cues from you. Okay, This isn't happening in a vacuum. Kids can often be a mirror reflecting ourselves back to us, and that can often be the most difficult thing about them. Um, In fact, I find that the aspects of my children's personalities that are the hardest for me to deal with are the aspects that are exactly like my own personality, stubbornness, temper, absent mindedness, you know, all of that. That's me. Um, being disorganized, you know, another thing. Uh, that's, that's how I am. That's my kids. Uh, Am I going to resent them for what? Failing to be a better person than me. Failing to be more mature than I am. That's, that's absurd. But I really think that's a lot of the, Anger that parents experience at their kids is is this Now they don't think of it like this But a lot of the time they're angry at their kids For failing to be better than themselves They hold their kids to a higher standard Than they hold themselves And on the outside for outsiders it's always easy to identify Um, So I don't know what the first thing about this woman but I'm willing to bet If I if we you know if you knew her And you saw her kid, all the ways her kid's acting, you would say, oh, yeah, well, that's exactly how the mom is. It's it's no surprise at all. Um, Bossy, bratty, you know, always have to have your way, materialistic. I'm betting that the mom is exactly like that. Yet here she is proving that she's, in fact, a lot worse than her kid because she resents her child for doing all the same stuff she does. I mean, if you do it, how could you possibly expect your kid not to do it? That's not fair to them. That we, we, we have to understand the limitations of a child, uh, which is another challenging of challenge of parenting, to understand a kid's limitations uh, and to work within those limitations, and to not expect more than what is possible. If you're expecting your child to be better than you and to um to, to you know be more virtuous than you and more mature. And to overcome personality defects that you have not overcome, well, then you are expecting too much of your child and you have no right to do that. Straighten yourself out first. Because the main thing is with kids, you know, and this is this is nothing radical or or revolutionary, but they they 90% of what they learn, they learn not based on what you say to them, but just based on copying what you do. So if you want them to act a certain way, then exhibit that behavior. Show them what it's like. If you never show them, it's like you know, all these parents walking around, and all parents lapse into it sometimes. I know I do at times, but I always try to catch myself. It's, but it's the dumbest thing when parents are mad at their kids for not acting in a way that they, the parents, have never demonstrated okay, you want your kid to be a certain way, show them how. Don't just tell them. Don't just stand there. I demand that you be better than this. Be better. I demand it. For some reason, it doesn't resonate with a five-year-old. Show them. Demonstrate. And they'll copy you. If you're not doing that, there's no hope. If you're not even trying to demonstrate good behavior to your child, then your child's going to be a brat. And you know what? It's not their fault. It's your fault. You have no right to be angry at them. You really don't. 100% your fault. Um, And then finally, third, you know, uh, even aside from all this, however your kid acts, brat or not, you really don't need to put this online. These are things that you save for your therapist or um, your husband God help him or, you know, a friend or whatever. But you you don't, this, this doesn't need to be online for everybody. We don't all need to hear it. Uh, but this is what parents do now where they they just they vent about their kids on a public forum you're venting about your child to millions of people and your child one day is going to grow up and read that themselves and see what an utterly insufferable selfish whiny petty brat you were um which maybe will be helpful for them to see that and then and then you know they can start to recover and heal themselves but but even so, I, I would say it's probably better just to keep all that crap to yourself. Um, we you know we we just we don't need to hear it. And that's my advice. But uh, anyway, mommy bloggers are canceled anyway, so you're not going to be you can't say anything anymore online because you're canceled, and that's it. We'll leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. And our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, I'm Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. The fight for America has now come to each of our doorsteps. The left not only wants to silence us, they want us to pretend we're not being silenced. Time for each of us, all of us, to fight back. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven.